0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of
1: here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to you know it.
0: Let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. Doing this a little later in the week, Wednesday, October 21st. Uh, But that's a good thing. We have more time to evaluate the film, look at all the plays, see what happened in the BC game, had more time to evaluate Wake Forest. In fact, Doug, who I'm joined by today, has put out his preview for Wake Forest, and you can check that out on VT Scoop right as you listen to this podcast Uh, maybe listen to this podcast while you're reading it that'd be interesting but we're joined by doug doug what's going on man
1: not much just released a preview that you guys should check out as you listen to this podcast um hopefully we won't be too repetitive but i'm sure you'll hear at least myself say some of the things that i wrote about this week but uh gotta gotta pretty decent win, I'd say, to, to dissect there against Boston College. And then, uh, you know, a little potentially tricky, maybe trap kind of game coming up on the road in, in Winston-Salem this week.
0: So the offense shows out in the 40-14 win. Hendon Hooker makes his first complete start. And despite the reports of a two-quarterback system, he played every snap uh, in this game. And Hendon Hooker, who would have thunk it, but a great running performance in this game. Honestly, did not expect the type of success that he had. 18 carries, 164 yards, and three touchdowns rushing for an average of 9.1 yards. Now look, Hendon Hooker, the first big play of his Virginia Tech career was that 69-yard run for a touchdown against William and Mary. We all knew he had this in him. But the combination of not, you know, seeing too much time this season, only playing essentially a half against UNC, uh, not knowing what his status was with regards to his health, uh, if he could put up this type of performance. But I got to say, you know, hats off to Hendon Hooker. He took everything the defense gave him. Brad Cornelson trusted him and he showed out in a big way for Virginia Tech in this game.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like he, kind of like people forgot what he can do on the ground a little bit, and you know you talk so much about Burmeister and how good he is on the ground and how fast he is and all that stuff, and you kind of discredit what Hooker brings to the table. But I mean, if you just remember like that, the first game of the his, he started last year against Miami, the very first drive. He, makes like three plays with his legs and scores a touchdown and then the and then the run the big one he had it was like fifty yards or something against UVA it was clearly he's a talented runner. And I and I think, you know, eighteen carries for one hundred and sixty four yards they threw up that graphic towards the end of the game where he was the only I mean it was Handon Hooker and Michael Vick on the on the on the list they threw up, which is pretty impressive company. But, you know, he's He's a pretty darn good runner. He's always been like that, uh, you know. And I think that's why we saw Virginia Tech go to him, and and I think that's why he didn't see Burmeister play. Probably a little bit because he was rolling from the start, and you're not going to take him out um, and, and slow that down. But also, like the difference between Burmeister on the ground and Hooker on the ground, clearly not substantial. Not. Not a not a difference maker where you're like, "Oh, we gotta get Burmeister's legs in the game because hooker can clearly um can clearly run quite effectively no matter no matter no matter the case so um great game from him didn't have to throw all that much. I don't even know if he threw like i don't know how many passes he threw in the second half, but it wasn't many um which is probably exactly what you want from a from an offense to be able to just sit on the ball like that and get and get the running game going like they did. So I think we've answered the question of who the best quarterback on the roster is right now. Um, I know going into the season Burmeister was, they said they were going to play him, but I don't know how much sense that makes now going forward. So we'll see, but really, really strong performance from Hooker. And um, I know he caught a lot of people's eyes Across the country is like, I guess the offense as a whole has done this now of people being like, "Whoa, check out that Rashid Tech offense."
0: I just want to hammer this point home with Hendon Hooker. I think if you were to go to the practice field and say Braxton Burmeister, Hendon Hooker competing in a forty-yard dash, I don't think it, you know it would be that close. Anyone can see that Braxton Burmeister clearly has some wheels, but what makes Hendon Hooker so special? I like the game plan that they ran with in the beginning, that they were giving him options to throw to James Mitchell across the formation, Uh, you know, simple passes. He wasn't really slinging it downfield. I think in the entire game, he really only had one pass that was over 20 yards. Uh, So Hooker just being able to first show, look, if you give me the pass, I'm going to take it. Uh, and, And of course, I don't know the playbook. I don't know you know which ones are RPOs or which ones are zone reads, but I do know that he was making decisions very quickly. He knew when to hand off to Khalil Herbert and he knew when to keep it. And I think that, in combination with the fact that he was able to find, you know, space on the outside or break a tackle, I think it—it it, it doesn't matter how fast he is, uh, he's finding those yards and. Uh, you know, even lowering his shoulder at the goal line. So I was very impressed with his decision making. I think it makes it a lot easier for him to find the best chance of success on any given play. Uh, and then in tandem with his natural ability as a runner.
1: Yeah, it's it, it goes back. I, I always go back to the quote. I think it was Fante. It might have been Cornellison leading into the belt bowl last year where they had you know, you have like three weeks of practice in between the bowl and they say something like when you stand behind Hooker during practice, you know that he knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what decision to make. So, I mean, I think that's the fact that, you know, this is his fourth year in the program. Um, his second year playing, you know, he got a lot of time last year. So he's making that he's making that jump that you know, maybe you thought Ryan Willis was going to make last year, that first year to second year jump. And um, and then it certainly doesn't help that he's got or doesn't hurt that he's got, you know, the the best Virginia Tech offensive line in 20 years and the best Virginia Tech running back in 10 years next to him. So it's kind of a, you know, when people's the reason people around the country are noticing the Virginia Tech offense is because it's really, really, really good. And um, you know when when you're playing with guys like that, it it just makes your job that much easier. Um, you know, you talked about the RPOs and the read options, and this Ziz- is well, it's a pretty easy decision when guys have to you know sell out to try and get to Khalil Herbert before he takes off. So um, that's that's kind of what we expected coming in is that this offense had had the potential to be one of the best offenses we've seen, and that they've delivered.
0: And speaking of Khalil Herbert, another incredible showing 18 carries 143 yards, another plus 50 fifty-yard run each game. It feels like he's just capable of putting up elite stat lines. And I think what's so interesting about him is it's not like every run the offensive line is just paving a massive hole for him to just use pure speed. There was multiple times in this game where it looked like the run was snuffed out by the defense and he just finds a way to, he he just finds these angles that it's just, it's so incredible to watch a talent like him did see a graphic by pro football focus that he's now number five in the Heisman race, which is just absolutely insane to me that a guy that was number two on a depth chart at one of the worst power five programs in Kansas is now number five in the Heisman race. ESPN article listed him as the number two running back in the country. Uh, It's just what a story for Khalil Herbert.
1: Yeah, he's his his ability to. You know, you don't want to call it necessarily. It's not really a bounce to the outside. I guess he's bouncing outside, but it's kind of like he is done trying to get through the middle of the line. And he sees the lane way out wide. And, like, he has so many plays where, you know, they're not immediate, you know, rips off six yards immediately. So many plays that are just like, oh, oh oh look at him it's, it's this really funny dynamic with them, and um it's it's a it's you know i don't you know i guess justin fields is the best transfer portal get of all time but i mean as far as this year he's probably the number one guy to come out of the transfer portal and i mean Talk about recruiting and all that stuff. He's a five-star get right there for Virginia Tech for for, for this roster. And um, so you mentioned the Heisman. I, I tweeted this out earlier this week. He's not going to win the Heisman. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. You know they might split the Heisman. Um, but the last, let's see, it's seven running backs have finished in the top three of the Heisman since since 2010. Khalil Herbert has more yards through four games than four of those guys, including Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Trent Richardson, and LaMichael Michael James. And he's a hundred to 200 yards short of Bryce love and Melvin Gordon. So he's in the mix. So like Heisman candidacy is based on what he's done is, is legitimate. And, uh, well-deserved and all that stuff he's he's certainly not a candidate to win two candidates to win but could he get to new york could they you know i forget how they do like the heisman invite stuff to decide how many people go because sometimes it's like three people and sometimes it's five but um if he keeps it up it's definitely a possibility and i i think i think there's plenty of virginia tech rushing records that are that are in jeopardy of falling this year
0: like you're saying the Heisman let's be real it's more of a quarterback award these days but if Khalil can keep this up and make it to New York and you know the first thing that you see when you walk into the Merriman facility is four giant tv screens and I think any recruit in the country especially those that are running backs coming to visit Virginia Tech on an unofficial or official visit, if they see that ceremony with Khalil Herbert sitting there, maybe with a maroon and orange tie with a little VT embroidered logo on it, I think they'll make a big impression on them. So
1: that's it'll the be, ultimate it'll goal. Be, it'll be interesting. So the Heisman is being awarded this year on December 14th. It's a, it'll, it'll be a virtual event, but December Fifth, I believe, is Virginia Tech, Clemson. So, let's just say best case scenario, everything goes right, and Khalil Herbert keeps ripping off. You know, I don't know what he's averaging, 150 yards per game. But then you get you get to September 5th, Clemson comes to Blacksburg, and it's Lords and ETN against Khalil Herbert a week before the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which could get interesting there. A Little game within the game there. Um, but let's be honest, Trevor Lawrence is gonna win it,
0: <laughs> yeah, probably. But uh, moving right along with this Virginia Tech offense against Boston College, I do want to talk about some of the pass catchers, Doug. Maybe you can talk me down a little bit, but Turner, Mitchell, and Robinson combined for 57 yards. Now, the game plan was clearly geared towards run the zone read run, you know, some jet sweeps here and there, but mostly this was about Hendon Hooker and Khalil Herbert on the ground. Hendon Hooker finished with 11 for 15 passing for 111 yards and one touchdown. That one touchdown was a screen pass. But how concerned should we be that it feels like yet another week where you know Hendon Hooker is the best passer of this group. You expect that part of, you know, your receiving to kind of follow suit but it seemed like once again, wide receivers weren't really called upon too much.
1: Yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to watch if if there's a game which the which you know probability says will will be a game where the running game struggles, will Virginia Tech have enough of a passing game to to get through that? Um, it, so it, so it is a little concerning, you know, coming of coming in the season. We were all talking about Hindenhooker Hooker and whether he can. Become a more advanced downfield passer. Whether he has more freedom at the line of scrimmage, all that stuff. Um, I haven't seen. It's kind of the same offense that they ran last. Same passing game they ran last year, which is you know kind of this misdirection that's based a lot on the play action. Um, you know the the throw two weeks ago. I Tavian Robinson for a touchdown. It's kind of that same look and play, um, that little slip screen to James Mitchell. They run off play action. It's all kind of the same stuff that they run. So I'm not concerned. You know, I think they'll be able to scheme it open, but I think, I think we all thought that there would be a little more explosive plays in the passing game, and maybe that's that's clearly a function of what the offense is designed to do right now. I think which works when you have a running game like for Jane Tex, but you know, guys like Turner you know, he's never been a go route kind of guy. He's an intermediate crossing route threat. Um, Mitchell is the same way. Robin, the, none of them are going to like just put a cornerback on skates and blow right past them. I think that's what they hope Jaden Payout would be this year, which is kind of what, and, and, and then you, so you replace Payout, who is clearly a a go a go route threat a burner down the field you replace him with pretty much caleb smith who is not so um i definitely think it's the passing game is something to keep an eye on but i don't think it's you know it's basically the same stuff they ran last year and um it worked pretty well last year i think you know and they've upgraded the running game so maybe that'll be enough but um you know we'll see going forward if if you know, Turner and, and Robinson, Mitchell can can break out when they need it against, you know, maybe that's Pittsburgh game. You know, Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh's run defense. Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh still this year. They are remarkably decent team, um, but they are really, really, really good um, against the run and on defense. I think I was looking at them the other day. They have, like, this couldn't have been. They had, like, 50 tackles for loss already. Um, I'm going to check that because that can't be right. Uh, but, you know, that's the kind of game where, yeah, they have 67 tackles for loss already. Virginia Tech has 28. So um, that's the kind of like a passing game where, like, Trey Turner needs to come to play. and needs to – is going to be called upon to make some big catches.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to you... – pose it as something that is super worrying for right now because the way that most of these wins have or at least what the wins have taught us are that the running game dictated those games you didn't really need to throw too much and you know Turner Mitchell Robinson they've all done a very good job at perimeter blocking which used to be one of the biggest weaknesses of the wide receiver room and you know not so much the tight ends but maybe not a huge thing right now and I think One rebuttal, I would say, I'm not so much worried about the offense being unable to run against any team. I think they've kind of proven it doesn't really matter how many guys you put in the box. Like Khalil Herbert's going to find a way or Hendon Hooker's going to make the right read. I think what I'm worried about is, and, and this will go... I'll go on to talk about this a little bit with the defense, but, you know, if if there weren't as many turnovers and Boston College was able to put on points, what does this offense look like from behind? And I think, you know, they did some good things against UNC specifically in the passing game with Hendon Hooker. Um, But I really do wonder against teams of the caliber of Miami and Clemson, it's not going to be so easy to get a lead and kind of run with it. I think, you know, you're going to have to be a bit more balanced and those reps are going to have to be super important.
1: Yeah, it's 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 that situation where you're playing from behind, probably, you know, I think you can expect or you wouldn't expect tech to have to do that the next couple of weeks, but against against the Miami against the Clemson, that definitely going to happen probably. So that situation, but then it's, it's the tight game late in the fourth quarter, a third and nine, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the uh, playing is just on up seven with six left and, you know, you've got to score a touchdown. You got to make a, you got to make that one, one or two throws to to give yourself a chance. And that's, I think the scheme allows them to do it, but um, you just don't know for sure. And you would like to see, you know, clearly that Boston College game, especially in the second half. Once it got out of hand, they're just going to run, run, run. But um, you know, you would like to see a little more from a guy like Turner, particularly um, as your number one receiver.
0: 100% agree. Uh, last thing, the offensive line yet again. I think it's super interesting that in three out of the four, an offensive lineman for Virginia Tech, and I should say a different offensive lineman for Virginia Tech, has garnered ACC Player of the Week honors, uh, Brock Hoffman in Week 1, uh, Christian Darisaw against Duke, and now Doug Nestor against Boston College uh super impressive performance by the offensive line. I think more so this year than in other years. I mean, we talk about how good this unit is, but seeing them go all the way down the field and essentially uh you know, they're they're paving the way for Khalil Herbert 20, 30 yards down the field even screen touchdown to Herbert. Derisaw was at the one yard line before uh, Khalil Herbert, which was super interesting. But, you know, all in all, this unit just seems to have such great cohesiveness. And, you know, this is this is a unit that, you know, not only ranks in the top 10 for pro football focus, but you think about a unit that's, you know, dealing with some a little bit of attrition you know they haven't se- they haven't played with Luke Tenuta for the past 2 weeks and it seems like no matter who's in there no matter what position they're playing Doug Nester playing at multiple positions uh, they seem to just find success on the ground game and it's it's really interesting to see the development of this
1: group it is <laughs> hilarious to watch if if you go through like any of the big Runs that Herbert's had. Like, there's an offensive lineman running down, just toying with some poor. Like, Darisol didn't just put the dude on his back immediately. He just kind of like shoved him 10 yards down the field every couple yards. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. I mean, we've said it for the last four weeks now that this group is incredibly impressive and deep. And, you know, you lose Tanuda, who's, you know, one of the better prospects they have on this team as far as nfl hopes, this is you know a six ten, six nine, six eight, 10 6 whatever he off it's a tackle but lose him danzy just slides in guy that you know Nestor's played a little bit of right tackle but you know those are, you're basically playing right guards and right tackles interchangeably you get hudson in a little bit of guard if, throughout the game i mean they're deep and they just roll through people Daresall's I think he's probably going to be a first-round pick, if especially if he keeps putting that kind of highlight film. You know, he had he had another one against uh, Carolina. They put him on Ch- Chaz and he just obliterated him multiple times. So, um, you know, it's interesting to to watch him, and it, it's a lot of like. So the offensive line is five, and most of the time they're going up against three or four defensive linemen. So you watch them, and they're like. They they help out, like, Darasol will help out on LaCita Smith for, like, a little bit. But LaCita Smith has got that under control, and Darasol is just like, all right, next guy moves on the linebacker, obliterates him. Um, So definitely the best offensive line probably since the 99-2000 teams. Um, You know, I I don't think, like, (laughs) Tyrod was helped out by an offensive line during his career, Um, 2006 offensive line. I don't know how Virginia Tech won 10 games that year. Um, just, Just a really impressive and deep, basically living up to enormously high expectations that people had. Brock Hoffman, I don't know if you could get higher expectations for a guy after the last 12 months of him being on scout team and all that and delivering in every way.
0: Yeah, so just to close on the offensive performance against Boston College, Hendon Hooker, quarterback one, uh, I think it's a disservice to call him a game manager, but he just feels like he, whether it's passing or throwing, he knows what to do, he's always calm, cool, and collected, Khalil Herbert, one of the best running game options in the entire country the offensive line uh one of the top units in the conference if not the country um and you know we did harp on the lack of passing attack which hasn't been needed so far but you know we'll look to see more of that moving down uh in future weeks and i gotta say you know hats off to brad Cornelson it felt like you know whether he's always using a different quarterback I mean every year it it feels like there's more than one quarterback playing and you know whether it's the Gerard offense which uh seemed very balanced and and you know put up big numbers in the passing game or Ryan Willis more of like your pro style uh passer he seems to tailor the offense towards the strengths of the team are so you have to give him credit for that for identifying uh what what to do in in any given game and uh I know that sometimes people will criticize his his play calling but I think the identity of the offense is you know some something none of us would have projected going into this season and yet you know it's working out wonderfully
1: yeah is you know over the last four or five years I think it's fair to say Cornelson and Fuente have proven able to put a more than competent offense on the field. I think where you, where, you know, Virginia Tech didn't have a running game for the last three years. Um, they went from, of like you said, a run, you know, Gerard Evans was the running game in 2016. They come back in 2017 with Josh Jackson and the offense was pretty much only Cam Phillips. Um, and they go to 2018, and they don't have any of that. And you know they're, <laughs> and then Oof. they make the, and then they make the switch to Ryan Willis in the middle of the year. And then um, last year they think Ryan Willis guy, and they have to make the switch ahead and Hooker. So long way with saying like they can put a pretty decent offense out on the field. I think the I think if you still have criticism of Brad Cornelson, it's it it would be the individual play calls that at key moments, which, you know, that's you could criticize every offensive coordinator for the plays that don't work at the critical moments just because they didn't work. If they would work, you'd be like, oh, great play call. Um So, you know, a lot of credit to him for figuring it out.
0: So moving on to the defense for Virginia Tech against Boston College, we can start with the defensive line here. Opposing offensive coordinators are finding visible holes in the defensive line uh, whether or not the linebacker play is you know you know we'll get to that in a little bit but are you concerned at all with how defensive line is approaching the run defense aspect
1: I think you have to be if you if you watch that Carolina game and you aren't concerned about the rush defense you need to go back and watch it again probably Um, and that's exactly what all these offensive coordinators doing are, you know, they see 399 yards of rushing by Carolina against Virginia tech. And that's exactly what they're going to figure out what they can use to, to, to have similar success. I think Boston college was on the way. It kind of felt like, you know, we talked about, they didn't have a running game. They don't have a running game. They don't seem particularly committed to having a running game. Um, but early on, uh, what's his name? David Bailey looked, Looked like he was, you know, I think his right before that fumble was a 14-yard run or something. So um, definitely a concern, I think, across the board, whether it's the ends or the tackles or the linebackers or whatever you want, to, or it was the safeties fill in the the running lanes. But, you know, that's probably, that's not probably that is the number one question for every game the rest of the year is, is what happens if Virginia Tech can't stop the run because that's been a way to win football games for, you know, since football was invented. If you run the ball, if you're the better running team on any given day, you're probably going to win the game. And there's a very real chance that most teams Virginia Tech plays this year are going to be able to run the ball if they remain committed to it. And, you know, Boston Tech got it. Force enough turnovers to get them to go away from it. But, you know, in a tight game or a game where Virginia Tech's trailing teams are just going to run it down their throats until, until they prove they can stop it. So, um, yeah, definitely a concern going forward. I don't think it's unfixable. I don't think they won't improve. You know, I don't think they will be as bad as that Carolina game week to week. Um, it's just, a, it's, it's just a matter of if they can get enough stops in the running game week in and week out to to give the offense a chance
0: yeah and specifically with this defensive line uh the tandem of reed and belmar they did have five quarterback hurries uh, but only two tackles between the two and i'm just starting to it it feels like there's more of a difference than i initially thought between the charlie Wiles system and the tap and tier link system it feels like the defense is just trying to generate as much pressure as they can. It felt like the Charlie Wild system was about, you know, finding where the offense wants to go and kind of, instead of just running upfield, trying to withhold the rush, try to keep them to a yard or two, let Ashby come up and fly into the hole. And now it just feels like uh, there's, it's a different strategy and it doesn't feel like they're doing a good job of containing uh, the opposition's running backs, it feels like they're able to get upfield a little bit more and put guys like Ashby, Dax Hollyfield, Allen, Tisdale in jeopardy. Uh, and I did notice actually saw a lot of Robert Wooten. And I know that Fuente talked about it and said that Jalen Griffin was a little banged up uh, and was out for the game. But uh, it was interesting to see a true freshman in there. But, you know, I don't, at least in my opinion, it seems like this defensive line is very hit or miss so far this season.
1: Yeah. Uh, to touch on your Wooten point, I guess we know who, uh, who has the early edge out of the new group of defensive ends that came in. Um, he's clearly the top guy out of that group right now, but, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a little, it's clearly a little different scheme wise, which I think is part of the problem. Um, I think it's part of the problem that Bill Tierlink was out for two weeks at some point. I think it's part of the problem they didn't have spring practice together, that guys have been missing time, Deshaun Crawford's been out. You know, it's kind of the whole thing, and now you're trying to get better week to week, learning what Bill Tierlink wants you to do as a defensive line, but also trying to prepare for an opponent that's going like, to try and make you do the opposite basically so um you know i've noticed that the the second string defensive line is getting a lot more time than charlie wiles second string defensive line um you know there were there were years with wiles where the second string defensive line would get like three series a game and and, um i looked at it a couple weeks ago and Kendricks who was a back, who was on that second string defensive line all of last year basically is as of two weeks ago, I think was the last time I looked at is already like 40 snaps ahead of where he was last year. Um, So, you know, is that a tierling philosophy that he just wants to roll people in constantly or is he just like, you know, all these guys are pretty much about the same level and, There's, there's no, there's no reason not to like, you know, one of the reasons Charlie was didn't rotate defensive linemen that much is because the starters were for starters for a reason. They're significantly better than the backups. And if, if there's not much difference there, you might as well rotate people in. So um, I think there's a lot of improvement to do there and they're going to, they're going to keep getting tested in the running game. So you know, and it all works together. The defensive line has got to get better and that'll help the linebackers get better and that'll help the, the secondary get better. So um, I think work to do, but, you know, they don't play a top flight opponent for, you know, weight Louisville Liberty is about as, you know, it's not as, it's not super easy. There are definitely going to be tough games and um, all that, but, you know, you're not like, going in you're not like Miami or Clemson coming at you next week that you need to be prepared for so we'll see how they make progress over the next three weeks but they definitely have a lot of work to do
0: yeah you're right it's not all on the defensive line it leads to linebackers and the secondary uh, which leads our next uh, topic to the linebacker play a little shaky in my opinion and The first two weeks, we didn't really talk too much about the linebackers. Against UNC, we talked a lot about the linebackers. And, you know, I'm starting to get more worried as time goes on. Ashby's numbers seem a little uh, worrying to me. And watching back the game, I did notice on the first Boston College touchdown, there's actually four guys in in close proximity. And Ashby was the one that looked like he had the best angle to make the tackle short of the goal line and just completely took the wrong angle. And I think more so this year in regards to Ashby, uh, when we're talking about Charlie Wiles and and how it would set up guys like Ashby and Dax to come up to the line of scrimmage and make clean tackles on the running back or quarterback this year, it seems like Ashby's kind of on an Island. He kind of has to figure it out for himself and Seeing him as a guy that's not the quickest laterally, we can all agree he's not the best athlete out there. He's undersized, um, maybe a bit overweight right now, um, but he just doesn't look like the same player that he was. And I don't know if it's fair, and I'm not saying give up on him already because he's one of the best football players on the defense, but... I am a little concerned with what I'm seeing out of him early on. And then second to that, it seems like Alan Tisdale has officially taken over for Dax Hollifield at the backer spot.
1: Yeah. You know, a guy like Ashby and you touched on it. He's not a elite athlete, so he's always going to need the right, Players around him and the right system and all that stuff to be as effective as possible otherwise his his is you know just a little less athleticism shows up and you know he's kind of facing the worst case scenario where his defensive line is not not winning battles up front you know he is not giving him the opportunity to make plays and then you know then he misses some time with covid and he falls out of shape a little bit. um, And now you're trying to get back to that top, top game shape where, where he can be as effective as possible. So, you know, he, you touched on it. He's one of the best pure football players. Fuente talks about all the time. His instincts are top notch, better than most players instincts. So that's where his advantage is. So, you know, they definitely need to get more out of him. I don't know. You know, you're not going to... Or you can go to Dax at Mike. You're going to take Ashby out. I don't think so. And, you know, Dax, as you mentioned, has been taking... You know, Tisdale's the backer now and is playing most of the game when he's... At least when he's been healthy this year, he's played most of the game. So, um, I, I do think there's, you know, better matchups ahead for Ashby. And, you know, he should get better as he plays more and more into shape um as i mentioned last week i think now you're just going to start the way getting playing more and getting in better game shape with you know just the wear and tear from by week eight of any season you're dinged up and all that stuff so um yeah i think just like defensive line it's the position to watch that front seven that front eight when they try and try and stop the run com every week it's going to be the position to watch
0: and then moving on into the secondary now let me ask you a question first am i crazy for thinking that the pass defense of virginia tech played better than the run defense despite phil throwing for 300 yards and the defense only allowing 90 yards rushing
1: uh, I think you would be accurate uh you know there are so many big plays made by that secondary, you know the two fumbles that devin Taylor and I think it was Jamari Connor forced um, secondary guys uh the the two picks secondary guys um Dorian strong had a great play on the deep ball going over the middle that he tipped away uh you know they. Boston College pretty much told us against Carolina that if they were going to abandon the run at some point and try to throw to win the game. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech didn't let that happen. So, yeah, they gave up 300-something yards. that's done that in five games now, so he's done that against everybody. Um, But they made, you know, there's no way around it. Those turnovers. Devin Taylor punches out the ball. Connor strips it. Those turnovers completely changed the game and they were responsible for four of them. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Because I'm, I'm even looking at 345 yards. If you look at that in isolation, not the greatest, but taken into context that he threw 51 times that his average pass was only 6.8 yards and had a quarterback rating of 67.8 those are the stats that kind of lead you to believe that you know this Virginia Tech secondary actually did a very good job at slowing down the number one option for the Boston College offense so it, it looked a lot better I think that you know, we talked about adjustments after the UNC game and seeing Devin Taylor at safety, I was not expecting that, especially because this is probably a guy, I mean, I don't know, but a guy that came in the latest out of any of these transfers and had to adjust uh, post-COVID quarantine regulations, whatever, probably, you know, a month ago, He he got his first chance at actually practicing uh, for Virginia Tech. And then, uh, you know, to move to safety from quarterback uh, and adjust to ACC offenses is pretty insane. I got to say, you know, the interception seemed a little lucky. Uh, Yurkovich just completely missed his guy. But I loved seeing Devin Taylor come down with the football. His knee was down after he caught it but he kept running down the sideline and actually taunted a Boston college player. And I kind of love that because it just reminds you of the DBU swag and, uh, you know, seeing him celebrate with Armani Chapman uh, after that, (laughs) after that uh, interception, you know, they, they probably have only known each other for four weeks, but you know, It seems like this unit is uniting Uh, Dorian strong coming in true freshman, the lowest rated guy uh, in the 2020 recruiting class. And he's making big plays deep against Zay flowers Uh, and then Chamari Connor who gets ejected against UNC comes back and has a tremendous game feels like he's all over the field. So I, you know. This defensive backfield just even though and of course you got to mention Divine Diablo um, is probably or is the leader of that room and makes such a big difference. But it just seems like everyone was on the same page. Uh, there were times when they were getting picked apart in zone coverage. But overall, you know, I don't have too many complaints about this unit. If this were the starting five Forward in the secondary, I you know I have no issues with that.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Diablo. I think you have to give him a ton of credit. He played seventy-two snaps after missing the last two weeks, um, and held Hunter Long, who you know I was just going to go ahead and give ten catches to right off the Going on this guy I was like he's going to have ten catches. Had a touchdown, but he was limited. But he only had four catches, I think, um, which is Pretty darn impressive for 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 Diablo playing against a guy like Long, Um, but yeah, I think you covered Devin Taylor. You know, it's not like Virginia Tech. It's not like he's been practicing safety very much. It's not like Virginia Tech has too many cornerbacks and doesn't need him to play cornerback. Like he's needed at corner, but he's also needed at him to position in the span of a week. Um, and I think he fits there as far as what Virginia Tech needs as a cover safety, basically with Chapman and Strong. Until Waller gets back, you need to give them some help over the top and playing him at safety. You're you're basically playing like a third corner there, who can who can defend. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense going forward. And Breon Murray coming back makes a big play. Um, you know, I don't think the secondary is still not what he thought it was going to be in July. You know, Um, the corners aren't, you know, nobody's going to mistake Chapman and uh, Murray and strong for, for Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller right now, but um, you know, they're solid and getting better and all that stuff. So yeah, I think lots of credit to them and Diablo's return, I think is huge as far as experience and, Particularly when you're playing a guy who's never played free safety and Dorian Strong is a true freshman, I think having him in the secondary is just critical for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Devon Diablo, without question, uh, you know, just writing the ship back there after, uh, you know, a, a rough week uh, the week before against UNC. Um, but I do have to say, you know, Dorian Strong. Looks like he's going to be a big time player, and it always feels like there's one or two tech cornerbacks that kind of get in before their time and have to adjust on the fly. And he looks like he's going to be a really good one in a few years. And it's it's crazy just talking about free safety with Keontae Jenkins. Uh, Devin Taylor playing there, Tyler Matheny, Alan Tisdale. I mean, they are going through all types of options at free safety, trying to find something. And, uh, you know, Devin Taylor looks like the most serviceable of the bunch, uh, Keonta, you know, will be needed at some point. But, uh, you know, I think they're they're fielding depth. And I think, like you said, the most important thing with this unit, at this point, you can't expect them to be the Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller types. Um, but as long as they are getting better over the course of the season, you know, in the beginning of this BC game, they were not very good. And then over time, I think they grew and grew and grew. When the pressure was on, especially for the Boston college offense. And you knew they were going to throw it and you knew they were looking to target those guys. They stepped up. So overall, I think, you know, massive kudos to the secondary. You,
1: you briefly touched, this has nothing to do with the Boston college game, but just looking down the, looking down the line to the next couple years of years, Virginia tech football, you're wondering who's playing, who's playing in the secondary and, you know, J.R. Walker is a redshirt freshman who's already getting time. Keontae Jenkins is a starter as a true freshman. Dorian Strong is, if he's not going to end up a starter by the end of the year, he's going to be one of the top backups. He's a true freshman. So there's three, three guys you can count on pretty confidently for the next several years. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think Justin Hamilton and Ryan Smith are having the most fun right now figuring this out week to week. Um, but, you know better times are probably ahead.
0: I want to shift focus now to the Wake Forest game. Virginia Tech and Wake Forest will play on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Wake Forest is two and two. Uh, They opened up against Clemson, lost 37 to 13, lost a nail biter 45 to 42. And in their past two weeks, they've put up 106 points against Campbell and UVA. Um, All in all, a very good offense, defense, very suspect. Uh, One final note before we really uh, break down what they bring to the table. I always find it so funny whenever you go uh, to ESPN and you look up kind of like their schedule, it always shows tickets available. So (laughs) apparently the lowest ticket uh, is two hundred and sixty nine dollars, which obviously you probably can't buy. Um, but I always find that really funny that they're still promoting these uh, ticket applications to try to to try to get into the game.
1: I, you know, I know some people who paid over two hundred dollars to go to Carolina a couple weeks ago. So uh, people do it, you know.
0: <laughs> it's, inter- it's interesting, though, at Wake Forest especially. But hey, you do you. Um, But let's talk about Wake Forest. I think we have to start with their offense, uh, led by quarterback Sam Hartman, who took over for Jamie Newman. I believe this is the second time he's taken over for Jamie Newman. After the first time he was hurt, second time transferred to uh, Georgia before the season and then opted out. Um, But Sam Hartman, if anyone has watched uh, QB1, he was featured there. Um, Really good quarterback gunslinger mentality, um similar in some aspects to the other Sam that Virginia Tech has seen and Sam Howell. Uh what makes Sam Hartman so special for the Demon Deacons o- offense?
1: Uh yeah, Sam Howell just a little different um scheme basically he's absolutely fearless throwing the ball down the field like you know I think it's probably predetermined before the snap sometimes but he, he he doesn't he doesn't care if you're draped over him if the guy's not he's going to give he's going to give his wide receivers um the guys who go down the field are Donovan Green and AT Perry who's 6'5 so or one of them 6'2 I think Green 6'2 Perry 6'5 so they're big enough to He's just completely willing to throw it 40, 40 yards down the field and let them go up and try and make a play on the ball. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on, on that Virginia Tech secondary. We were just talking about down the field. You've not only, you know, good coverage is not going to prevent him from throwing the ball your way. You've got to make a play on the ball and you've got to do it without committing a pass. So um, I expect they feel. Like Dorian Strong as a true freshman is the guy to test. Um, so I expect Strong to get to get a few challenges early, but you know that's that's the passing game. And then they have two slot guys. Corey Rob- Jacory Roberson is probably one of the most underrated slot receivers in the in in the conference, if not the country. Um He's their most targeted and i think he leads the team with like 20 catches so far this year so he's the kind of the safety valve where hartman's gonna look downfield and if, if it's not there he's looking for for Roberson, um kind of over the middle so i mean they just they're gonna they're willing to throw it 40 times a game if that's what it takes um fearless he stands in the pocket he's not i think he's only got a couple runs this year but he's definitely quick enough to get out of the pocket and um around he's just not going to take off and run a lot so um passing game is is really really aggressive um and you know if it's not open downfield he might still take a shot at it but then he's got a couple options downfield tight ends aren't a factor in the passing game but um they got four wide receivers that you have to be worried about
0: Yeah, and just looking at a stat line, 62 for 100, obviously 62% completion, uh, 893 yards, only three touchdowns. I think that's the only, you know, non-Wake Forest quarterback number. Um, When you see Dave Clawson's offense, they always seem to find wide receivers out of the blue. Uh, Obviously, last year, I think the big storyline was Sage Surratt and Scotty Washington just two behemoths of wide receivers and super productive. And then they always seem to find an ultra productive slot or dating back to the Greg, Greg Dortch days, uh, a Richmond guy. Um, But yeah, I mean, it seems no matter what, this Wake Forest offense is always going to have a quarterback that's trying to sling the ball down the field. And then, you know, one really tall wide receiver that can run with everyone, uh, one other outside wide receiver that kind of commands a lot of the targets. And what? So it seems like this is the classic Wake Forest I- identity.
1: It's the classic Wake Forest identity, and they're pretty similar to Carolina, which. It's probably troubling to a lot of Virginia Tech fans if they you know, they got Hartman is basically Howell, except a little less physically gifted. You know, I don't think Howell's, Howell's probably going to be a first round pick at some point. Hartman, probably not. Um, Newsom and Brown are the top receivers there at Carolina. And I think Roberson and, and Perry Green, you know, Perry and Green are not, are nowhere near as proven or, or gifted or athletic. Or, you know, they're probably as athletic, but they're just not. They're, they're step below, clearly. So that's where the difference is. Um, and then they have two really good, even running backs that they do a lot with. So um, this is kind of that diverse, balanced offense that if, if you let them get going and let them hang around in the game, it's going to be really hard to stop.
0: Yeah, and I do want to talk about those running backs uh, Kenneth Walker, Christian Beal Smith, first off with Walker. I mean, he was the running back of the week for the ACC, um, had a monster performance against uh, UVA. I believe he had a 75-yard touchdown run during that game. Um,
1: just Won the game with it. A-
0: and, and we're talking about I, – I, I know people will say, you know, Virginia's not a good team. They're 1-3. I think they're most known for their rush defense – so to have a game like that against that type of rush defense is pretty impressive, at least to me. Um, in the games I've seen him, uh, he looks similar to Michael Carter, which we've seen uh, in the UNC offense. And I have to admit, um, I am very worried. We're talking about all these struggles in the run defense for Virginia Tech. And this is a guy that's averaging you know, close to 100 yards rushing per game. I think that's a mark he'll easily surpass against Virginia Tech this upcoming weekend.
1: Yeah, Carter's probably a little faster, a little more explosive than him. But, um, yeah, definitely a major concern. You know, we're only 14 days out from what happened in Carolina. And I don't think, you know, as we talked about, I don't think Virginia Tech, you know, they were better against Boston College, I think. But um, that's not saying much. doesn't take much to get better than 399 rushing yards. Um, so I think this is definitely one of those games that Dave Clawson popped in that Carolina tape and was like, I guess we're going to go with this strategy. This looks like a good one. Um, so Walker's good. Beal Smith. Good. I, th- I think Walker's the lead back by like nine carries or something. So you'll see both of them plenty. Um, and they do the weird, crazy, like slow motion. I hate
0: it so much.
1: Slow developing mesh read option where it's they'll make a decision like a yard behind the offensive line. So you know, you gotta have a good defensive line to to combat that. And I think we're all worried about Virginia Tech's defensive line right now, so I think you can pretty much count on Wake Forest to have some success success runs.
0: I want to switch things over to the defense for Wake Forest. This is a unit I am not high on whatsoever. They do have their fair share of good players. Um, The first and probably the most notable is Carlos Boogie Basham. He's a guy that I will forever say, what if he were in orange and maroon? Uh, Scary guy. um, Absolute force. And I think he has... Some crazy streak of tackles for loss. Um, I don't know how far that extends, but it goes pretty far. Um, and the and you know uh, the it's other like thing i for the
1: last two years, he's it's a insane for loss or something.
0: <laughs> he's he's a clear cut NFL guy, um, massive guy, and going to be a huge challenge. Uh, we talk about how good the Virginia Tech offensive line is um, in paving the way in the run game. I think there's. Yet to be, you know, they, they did a good job against Duke limiting pressure, but, you know, Boogie Basham on his own is, is truly a test. Um, and then side note, I noticed that the entire front seven for the Wake Forest defense all rocks the single digit jerseys, which I find pretty cool. It doesn't make them any better, but it's still pretty cool.
1: Single digit jerseys are great for for defensive players. They They haven't. An- have an, I think Basham's nine or eight, and they have a four, Jacory Johns, who basically lines up. He stands up at defensive end basically the whole game. Uh, I think they even have an eleven in there, so they they're pretty close there. Um, I think. Um, so yeah, like you covered it on Basham. The dude is really freaking good, uh, but they haven't been able to stop the run at all. They give up almost 200 yards, it's like this, like they have one of the best defensive linemen in the conference. Is next to them. Um, you know, they rotate in about four defensive tackles next to them. Um, they're decent. You know, they look good to me, but for whatever reason, you know, NC State got them with the outside zone to the tune of 270 yards from their three running backs, which I think, for Jane Tech, if if Wake Forest is drooling over the Carolina tape, Tech is drooling over the NC State tape about what Khalil Herbert can do on those kind of runs. UVA played three quarterbacks, um, which is quite the game plan to to put in um, to try and win the game. Um, but they those three quarterbacks combined for over 120 yards, I think, just those three. So. You know, I think Virginia Tech looks at that game and says Hinden Hooker is probably going to have some opportunities to run the ball. So they don't have any, you know, I don't, I think Wake Forest should be able to run the ball. I think Virginia Tech should really be able to run the ball, um, which means there's probably going to be some points scored.
0: Yeah, and just to put it into perspective, you know, think to yourself, how bad has Virginia Tech's run defense been? You know, especially, you know they were, I'll give them credit, they were very good against NC State. Uh, but beyond that, you know, especially against UNC, which you're, which we're, you know, harping on so much, you know, Wake Forest is a worse run defense. They're giving up nearly 200 yards per game That Khalil Herbert game. If there ever is one how we were referencing Boston College in West Virginia from his time at Kansas. Uh, this could be one of those games where he firmly puts himself squarely into the Heisman mix. Uh and, and again, it's interesting just because in a vacuum, they do have very good players uh, who happen to rock the single digit jerseys. But, um, you know, together as a unit, it just seems like they're not very cohesive one way or the other.
1: So I compared their uh, offense to North Carolina based on what North Carolina did to Virginia Tech. Their secondary, I think, it leans even more into that. If you want to compare it to Virginia Tech's secondary during the game, they're down three out of their four projected starters in the secondary from the start of the year. Uh, Sir Taylor is their top corner. He's the last man standing from the guys that were supposed to be there for him. Um, they're trying to get a couple guys back. But Caitlin uh, Carson is a true freshman, um, probably playing a little bit earlier than they wanted, um, kind of like Dorian Strong, I would say, for Virginia Tech. It's starting a free safety, Nick Anderson, who is from Clinton, Virginia, chose, uh, wait, he's a preferred walk-on. So you can make the Tyler Matheny comparison there. He played pretty well against Carol, uh, against UVA last week, but you know, he's still a preferred walk-on. That's kind of like the, it's the Tyler Matheny thing. He played pretty well against Duke. And then he gets on the field against Carolina's running backs and it's overmatched. So I, you know, this is all just to say, yeah, the running game, Khalil Herbert. You know, you started to see a little bit of Raheem Blackshear get loose against Boston College with a nice touchdown run. You know, I think we're all waiting for that breakout game. Um, so, you know, I think it's all all pointing to a big day for the Virginia Tech rushing game. So to close things out here,
0: I think what you're trying to tell everyone this is going to be a high scoring affair.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, (laughs) that's, that's what I got. Uh, I think Virginia tech should have no problem running the ball. And when, you know, that opens up the rest of the, the offense, which is, you know, why we haven't seen it be much of a passing attack. But when Virginia tech does throw it with Indian hooker, they've been very, very efficient. So, um, I really think the game comes down to the first quarter. Who gets off to the best start? If Wake Forest gets off, you know, they kind of jumped UVA last week and jumped out to a lead, and that allowed them to play from, you know, I mean, UVA rallied to tie it at some point, but that they basically played the first quarter to the third quarter in a pretty comfortable spot, which allowed them to use their entire offense, and by the end of it, they had 40 points. Jump out ahead early and kind of force them to change their strategy and change what they love, what they like to do. Um, I think that's a, I think you can get them a little out of rhythm and that's where Virginia Tech has success. If they, you know, if they come out and, you know, do the same thing they did to UVA, I think it could be a long day as far as what they're able to do once when they're able to play with the lead comfortably and, get the running game going and get the passing game playing off of that um it's pretty simple from that point
0: yeah if, if wake has it their way it's going to be a lot of kenneth walker and christian beale smith if virginia tech has it their way it'll look a lot similar to last week maybe not as much success for hendon hooker but you never know um but anyways that'll do it for us today and we're signing off and we'll catch you next time